welcome back to Opera Off Stage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. We're very excited to have John Brancy on the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Awesome. So John Brancy is a Grammy winner and a fabulous baritone, and we're super excited to have him on the podcast. So John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your career, and kind of like your favorite highlights so far? Okay, cool. I like I like kind of starting there. Well, I started singing opera when I was 16, and it was through public education, um, which I will always, you know, thank and be very grateful for that I had a great public education. And it was my choir teachers that got me interested, specifically my high school choir teacher, because he loved opera. And he was, you know, really great. His name is Jack Hill. He's really great with us and taught us so much about choir music and choral music and all that stuff. And we did all different types of styles of, of music growing up, like sang Eric Whitaker, but also sang Renaissance stuff and really difficult, you know, motets and, and what and whatnot. But I was also doing musicals. And I think when I was 15 years old, I sang The Music Man. And it was kind of like a big thing to do to sing the whole music man at 15 and i was able to you know really present vocally a thing that was you know obvious to him that i was potentially good for opera and so i started to explore some of the you know classical musical theater stuff i got a teacher from at first at westminster choir college and then that led to my first teacher at juilliard and i did like a whole round of competitions for high school singers during that time and that kind of you know, solidified my track towards being, uh, you know, and pursuing singing. I was actually really interested in film and acting and musical theater most of all, but I just didn't really know enough about opera throughout my life because my parents are not musicians. They're not opera singers. So it was just sort of, you know, this amazing opportunity that came my way in public education. So it was just like, wow. I can't believe I, I still, I still can't believe that it happened in, in like South New Jersey that I was able to have access to that stuff. You know, in retrospect, I think I kind of feel strongly that a lot of people should have access to singing, you know, at a young age and something that I've been working on throughout my career thus far and will continue exploring and working on. But at this point, I started working professionally at the age of 21 and I sang a few concerts at Carnegie Hall, of all places, through my choral director. Funny enough, he actually set me up on that. And then, you know, one thing led to the to another, and I started doing professional operas and and concert work in different places. And at this point, I don't consider myself a young artist anymore. I consider myself a, you know, fully professional singer. And, you know, the pandemic was very very intense time for everyone and i i do utilize that time to to teach and to hone my own technique which was i thought now in retrospect after doing my first job back which was my debut as guglielmo and cosi vantute at at san francisco opera yeah i'm i'm very very thankful for the opportunity to just spend some time with my technique and practice and practice and practice i mean like in the moment i was really upset that i'd lost all that work uh, I'm sure, you know, as many, many other people were feeling. But um, at this point, I feel very grateful and thankful that I had the time. So, yeah, I'm just excited to to be talking to you guys and, and getting into, uh, 
you know, this this chat. Yeah. You know, honestly, high school choir directors are really carrying the entire weight of the music industry. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so I true. Mean, my story is the same. I got into music because of my high school choir director. And yeah. We're still like BFFs. We get coffee all the time. It's so yeah. shout out to Mr. King back in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody <laughs> yeah. has that. I yeah. always give him a shout out. Yeah. In, in like everything I do, because it's like I wouldn't be doing this without you know his influence early on and it's just yeah i mean did you both attend public school no i went to uh to a private school yeah private school okay cool Mm -hmm. nice yeah i mean it's public or private it doesn't really matter as long as you're getting access to the arts but i think that that's actually like in public education as far as i know has been like more and more reduced over the past 20 years and i just you know think why we know now you know the benefits of having art and having music in in your life and it's just it seems a bit like criminal you know to to take it away from people so yeah i mean we can talk more about that later but totally on the on that topic of choral directors like definitely definitely single-handedly bringing bringing the uh (laughs) you know the art form into the 21st century absolutely without a doubt yeah no that's awesome that's really cool Mm -hmm. yeah and actually it's so funny to our listeners we've been talking with john to get him on the on the podcast for a while now and everybody's just been busy because it's it's always a crazy time and it was fun so how how was cozy it was thrilling i mean to be on stage with you know the likes of ferruccio furlanetto which is you know he's a living legend he made his debut at san francisco opera in 1979 and I think he was singing during that time with Leontine Price. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and Pavarotti. So he's yeah. of that generation. He's a little bit younger, obviously, than, than them. Because I believe that Leontine is in her late 80s. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and then, you know, that would have been the age of, of Pavarotti as well. So he's in his, I believe, his late 60s or 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 early 70s so that was that was amazing and then the director michael cavanaugh was just you know he's doing this trilogy of the three de ponte operas and cozy is in the middle and so his understanding of just every aspect of the characters and how the music is making these that's what i i mean just to take a second on this but like when a director knows every line (laughs) and is like very very well uh, versed with the translation and what's going on and and just every beat is so well directed and thought out it just makes all the difference and it's Absolutely. i've had i've had you know some very great uh directors that i've worked with in the past and i'd say michael is you know if not <laughs> number you know one two or three definitely number one for me in my experience and so just to come back after the pandemic have this experience with a role debut at San Francisco Opera of all the places <laughs> to do and I wasn't originally supposed to do the role. I actually was oh. a jump I was a jump in. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's something probably that's interesting to talk about with your listeners. I the in t- 2019 I was covering Billy Budd at San Francisco. And I was singing the role of Donald, which is a smaller but important role. Um and I think it was the cover run when I was able to sing Billy for, you know, the artistic staff that kind of maybe put me in the running for things in the future. Granted, I wasn't a young artist. I wasn't actually singing as an Adler fellow. 
So I was being hired as a principal artist and also covering, which I think, you know, this is something that we can also talk about because I have never done a young artist program. I, I consciously decided not to do one. And this is, I, I don't knock them. I don't think that they're a bad thing at, at all. I think that they're very helpful, but for some people, for some artists, they can, you know, not be the right path to take. And we can talk a little bit about that, but yeah, so I was a jump in and it was, you know, I felt like I had a lot to prove and I did, you know, yeah. and I, and I made it a really, like my whole summer was dedicated to learning the role because I only, I had found out just a few months before the gig. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have years until it happens and then sometimes it's just a few months and sometimes it's just a few days, you know, that's always, yeah. it's always up in the air. And hopefully it's Mozart and it's not some, you know, new music piece that's never been done before. And there's no recording of it that you can, you know, <laughs> yeah. base your, your learning on. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. But Cozy, I mean, you really couldn't have picked a, a something that has more recit. You know what I mean? That, yeah. In the summer to learn all of that would still be, you know, pretty crazy. I, mean, I think they cut a lot of the recit just to okay. keep it, you know, pared down in <laughs> two acts. Yeah. Fabulous. And And just <laughs> condense, you know, and I think. Uh, of all the characters, Guglielmo actually has not so much recit. It's more, he's got those like introductory recits for his arias <laughs> and, and the duets and whatnot, you know, those, which I love, you know, instead of like big chunks of like recit scenes, yeah. which, you know, they're, they're fun as well. But like when it's specifically leading up to an aria, it's kind of nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I absolutely learning, learning all of that Italian and, and making sure that the Italian sounds really good. You know, that's, right. yeah, I, I worked with this great coach in New York. His name is Diego Tornelli. Have you guys heard of his name? No, not mm -hmm. familiar. Yeah, Diego Tornelli. Yeah, he's he's great. He's fantastic. He was working at Juilliard for a little bit with me while I was there. And now he's just sort of doing his solo thing. And a big shout out to Diego for, you know, preparing me for this role. And you, he works in, and lives in Brooklyn in, in New York City. Mm -hmm. So, cool. but he's he's excellent. That's awesome. You bring up a really, really good point in there, which is uh, something we try to impress upon our audience, which is how important it is when you are a cover to to really, really learn your stuff. Because at some point you will be up there, whether it's because somebody stepped out or somebody has a sick day, but like it can make all the difference to show up as a cover. Oh, yeah. I mean, like uh, you're this is a job, you know, yeah. and that's it's something that a lot of singers end up doing. And making, actually, I know a lot of singers who do it and make it their career, you know, and, and, and are, you know, really making a very good living covering. And that's not, that should not be, you know, looked down upon, you know, because it's oh, very necessary in what we do. And, you know, we had covers and this is a message to the principals who are, you know, having covers is to, you know, get to know them, talk to them, you know, they, I, my cover for uh, Guglielmo, sometimes, you know, the, the staging was just getting to be, you know, s so much that I would actually go to him and because he was taking notes and I'd be like, hey, you know, because we had a good rapport. Do you remember, you know, what happens in the scene? And, you know, it's just it's just about communication, being open, and then you're just helping each other. You know, that's really all it comes down to. And as a cover, if you're able to do that, you know, if you're, you know, much younger than the person that you're covering... Then you're getting to learn a lot. You know, if they have a lot of experience doing the role, you know, you will be learning through them if you're really attentive and you're, and you're, you know, playing 
with the instruction and, and with the staging and everything like that. You know, because ultimately, you're not going to get a ton of time to stage it, that's for sure. But if you're, you know, the best kind of cover situation is you're, you're in the show as another character, which is what I did, so that you're close to the character and you're always watching and you're always, like, there to pick up the slack, you know, just in case something were to happen. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's so important to go into that realizing and recognizing that, that it's, it's a job and it really does like everything that we do in this industry it 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 resonates into the future right it's like you 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 don't know where or when or who you're going to affect with the work that you do absolutely i mean it's the perfect opportunity to be a really good colleague to those that you're working with that too yeah yeah totally totally yeah yeah no that's awesome okay perfect so with our offstage chats you know we could go into like full npr very serious interview or we could have some fun with you while we have you so we're going to do a little speed round of just some fun questions that you know maybe people aren't going to find on your website so i'll start us off let's go (laughs) john you have a big performance coming up what is your favorite go-to pre-performance snack what are you chowing down on? Oh wow! Okay, this is this is probably going to go down like a, a little bit of a a little bit of a, a story. We got a story. Yeah, we have a story. I mean, my my number one thing to eat before performance is bananas. I just like yes. Yeah, oh, bananas. You don't even know what you've bananas just walked into. Me. Yeah, you don't even know what I, you just said. <laughs> I'm a big banana advocate because I think it's very easy on your stomach. It doesn't make you... But Michelle hates bananas before oh, we God. had I to talk about I can't this eat a banana. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow, bananas. you don't even know. It's bananas, <laughs> peanut butter, and and like some form of like non-dairy milk is my is like my go-to. And, or if I... if Actually also oatmeal like so i i was just like i got it kind of made like a peanut butter oatmeal banana with walnuts dish but i ate like three servings of it (laughs) (laughs) and so it was just like sort of something i would eat throughout the morning and like normally i'll do i'll do like a workout before i perform too so that i i feel because at nighttime you know at at a 7 30 performance start time i'm tired you know i'm already Mm -hmm. tired and i feel like doing some form of cardio or not too hard, but like also strength training and stuff like that really keeps my energy elevated, especially if I ate that specific meal throughout the day. And then when it when I am performing, I am just eating bananas. That's pretty much it. Nuts. I used to <laughs> eat nuts and jerky. And I actually had a snack food company for a while. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Wow. But that, what a reveal. Yeah. And I know. I was like, I was it, it, when I was in school. I was like, what can I do to make my life extremely difficult? <laughs> oh, I'll start a company. <laughs> I'll start yeah. a snack food company. Yeah, and I'm so glad it's not happening because I would not be able to have this career and actually run a business like that specifically. So all I'm saying though is it's definitely in my past. Post career though, <laughs> you huh? can always bring back the snack food company down the line and like in retirement like make snacks for singers yeah i mean actually i would do that but i would i would probably focus on a different type of snack or food i've actually been thinking about you know if i were to do a side hustle you know definitely teaching is where i'm more interested now and like getting getting young people to sing honestly trying to figure out ways to get singing back into curriculum 
in schools. That's like yeah. a really important thing for me all over the country. But we can talk more about that. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, like in terms of, a, you know, product, I think like, you know, singers, we're always about like the preventative measures, you know? And so I think like coming up with like a protocol, you know, they're calling like the singer's protocol or something like that, where it's like, it's not just one product that you'd buy at CVS, but it's like a package of products, you know, like yes. you'd just be able to be like, yes, and this is everything I need, you know, like to make sure that I don't get sick, you know, for yeah. this thing. So exactly. yeah. that was kind of like what I was thinking, because it would be like just like hot tip, you know, to the, I know that I'm kind of getting on a tangent here. OK, I'm going I'm going beyond the sna- <laughs> the snacks. I'm going to supplements. But okay. hot hot tip on this. <laughs> are you are you guys hip to um hypertonic saline? No. I am I'm not hip, apparently. I'm not hip. So 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 there's like two like these like regular saline which you can buy and I'm talking about like the ones that are like spray bottles mm-hmm. for the nose. And they're like they're good for just like regular irrigation and cleansing. But then hypertonic means that there's like more salt in the saline. And so it it requires less of a spray, but it actually is like a little bit more intense and it's for preventative, like ensuring that whatever is incubating in your sinuses will be removed and pulled out with the salt. So it's like the principle of like gargling with salt in your throat, but you know, because you want to gargle with pretty salty water, not like, you know, lukewarm, well, like like a low level of salt like you want to taste it yeah. you know it's right. like how nothing really lives in the dead sea exactly exactly yes yeah. so that's and it burns a little bit but it burns real good you know like <laughs> it's kind of like you know that it's working kind of thing and then yeah yeah that's that's like my my main thing and then like vitamin d3 but taking a weekly dosage so fifty thousand oh. i use and once a week okay so yeah and that's like those two things together i got really i got a really bad cold at the beginning of cozy and i was able to basically like it almost became a cough you know when it's like doing the thing and it's going down and the nose and like the post nasal and you're like oh no 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 (laughs) you're in the danger zone you're in the danger zone so it was like a combination of those two and making sure that like i was irrigating before sleeping and using, yeah. if you can, using Flonase before you sleep. So that's like another secret because then it stops the um, the drip for Post-nasal like drip. six hours. I have like, like it stopped me for like six hours. So I could really sleep and recover because that's like the most important thing. So it was, it was like a chest cold that was like there and gone in 72 hours. And that's what I would like try to strive for when you, when you get the cold, you know, like try and knock yeah. it out. Anyway, that was right. a total tangent. <laughs> You're fine. It was great. This is not NPR. I learned something. This is not NPR. <laughs> I love I love the banana to hypertonic saline uh <laughs> like pipeline. <laughs> great. See, this is this is why yeah. This is why you, love you're you're both entrepreneurs. You get it. Yeah. You get oh, it. Oh yeah. yeah. We love it. <laughs> Next question. What's a role that's not in your voice part that you would you wish you could sing? Oh that's a great question. <laughs> Oh, I mean, this is going to get me in trouble because I, I can sing them. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I want to sing them. I'd love to sing Zygmunt. Yeah. yeah. It's not, there you go. not oh currently, gosh. not currently in my, in my voice type. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Zygmunt One day. Would, would be really cool. And 
Peter Grimes actually would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice. intense, wild, wild role in a wild opera. Something that's like not a tenor role. <laughs> Sesto. Okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Indie yeah. Domineo. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to yeah. sing Sesto. Oh. It's pretty. It's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, who would be your dream person to collaborate with? Whether it's a conductor, another singer, a director, or just mm. like somebody totally maybe outside of opera. Oh wow, Jacob Collier. Nice. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's awesome. Yes, that's a great yeah. answer. Yeah, Jacob Collier. Yeah, I would love for him to write a grand opera, five acts about nature. Oh yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm oh, doing yeah. it on He's this on this podcast. I there. want him to write a climate climate based like story about like the world, you know, and our you know collective history. I'm just like that's what I think he would just. He would just do so well with like all of the different styles of music that could be incorporated into it, you know? I think and that because the art form of opera is all about like incorporating everything, honestly, you know? And I think mm. that he's such an operatic composer. I met him at the Grammys. Oh, Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. How was he? Was it cool? Super chill. He was with his mom. He was so he he was like sitting like three rows in front of me at that's like awesome. you know, yeah, and I was like, Congratulations on your win. And he was like, thank you so much. I'm like doing this his <laughs> accent. <laughs> and, I, and I told him, I was like, I told him and his mom, I was like, I, I think I was like directing it at his mother. I was like, you are the next Bach. You are the next <laughs> Mozart. I mean, like more so than Mozart, more like Bach, you know? You more like Bach. Yeah. Yes. But truly like the yeah. counterpoint and all of that and the microtonal um, harmonies. But that's the thing that's really impressive. I think that we're all trying to capture is that Jacob Collier is, like, an intensely analytical and, like, theoretical musician. But he's still yeah. on top of what I would call, like, the cultural wave. People are aware of him who are not involved in classical music or music theory or any kind of analytical. He, he exists outside the theoretical. I'll put it that way. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, but I think that that's happening a lot. Yeah. You know, my friend John Baptiste. I mean, that's what we want. We want this to re-enter the mainstream. We want it to absolutely. just be music and not something that's cordoned to the side is like oh well that's classical music that's for a certain right. type of people totally totally i mean but i think i think like i was just mentioning john baptiste you know because he's fusing mm -hmm. a lot of different specifically with jazz and pop you know he's fusing those together in you know incredible unique ways as well as uh chris bowers do you guys know that name yeah chris bowers. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he's also somebody that i, I would like to work with the three of them but for sure, at some point. I mean, the three of them are just, you know, geniuses, in my opinion. Yeah. That's and awesome. And in terms of, like, I mean, I'm not just, I'm just going to keep going on another tangent. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but, like, you know, in opera, I'd love to work with Ellen Reed. She's, oh, she, like, her stuff is yes. really, really cool. Yes. Um, yeah, just, you know, I, I, I saw some of Prism, which I thought was really, really cool. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just they actually workshop uh, part of that at UIUC. Oh, really? Yeah, it was incredible. Very nice. Yeah, I think I think the new opera that's being made right now is really interesting and theatrical and dramatic. I'm missing a little bit of comedy. I want a little bit more comedy, you know. And I think there's some people that are coming up with it. I think it's coming, but I think it's very exciting and cool. And I love that a lot of these composers are incorporating different types of instrumentation and they're not afraid, 
you know, to also, I hate to say this, but require microphones when needed when you're singing over amplification. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yeah. You know, it changes the art form a little bit, but I think it's actually when there are amplified amplified instruments in the ensemble, you should be amplified as well. Just a, just slightly. Yeah. To, because you can't really... The, the voice, we were never trained and we're never meant to sing over amplification. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, to that's simply, totally we... not the question that you asked me, but... <laughs> no, I love it. Well, segueing, Yeah. <laughs> segueing off of that question. Uh, new works or classics? Mm. Well, new works, honestly. Like, I, I love singing the classics but we've got to keep the art form moving you know we've got to keep it alive and we i feel like you know the 20th century was a lot about recycling 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 so much so because of the the recording industry being what it was you know and i don't know i don't think actually the 21st century and specifically this part of the 21st century should be that. I think it actually should be a, you know, a renaissance of sorts. And I've talked about this on other things, but that we, you know, really should embrace the, you know, living composers and maybe even take a period of time. It may seem like a suicidal, you know, event for opera companies. I would just love to see like a kind of worldwide approach where that none of them are doing the classics for a period of time. That only yeah. what is being done is world premieres and and stuff that's been composed within the past like fifty years. Do it like a like the Nutcracker, one classic a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, people have they have to sell tickets and they have to, you know, maybe you know make ensure audiences are staying and coming. But I think it would be. You know, and unless we experiment with these things on a massive scale, I don't like we're we're just going to keep kind of like moving at a slow pace, you know. And I don't I don't think it's impossible for us to do something like this for the for the whole of the industry to be like, wait a second, you know, maybe we can take a few years and lift all of these living composers to the to the status that they that they that they should be, and really like update the listening of our audiences so that they feel more comfortable with the programming of new works overall because i feel like right now it's kind of like sort of on the lower end of of the necessity spectrum for opera and i think it could kind of like be boosted at least to a 50 50 scenario right yeah yes so uh, as a continuation of that question because this is something i've seen start to crop up are you interested in doing opera film oh yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I've done, I did a, not just opera film, but like just music based film. I did a, I made yeah. a documentary. Oh, oh, cool. I made a documentary. Yeah. It's on all arts, which is like the WNET streaming app. And it's for okay. my album that I made. I did this like long, almost like six year long project. Oh, wow. It was, it was two different albums, all about the composers who fought in World War One. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Make right. a note to yeah. share that. Check it yeah. out. Yeah. And so the, the, the film is called The Journey Home Live from the Kennedy Center. And it's the performance that we gave on the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. And we invited the government of Flanders, Belgium, and uh, the World War I Centennial Commission. And it was co-presented by Vocal Arts DC. 
And uh, oh, nice. we gave a world premiere performance of a new setting of In Flanders Fields, the poem, commemorating and remembering the war and war in general through song. So I had this experience performing and connecting with members of the military with, with song and recital. And so I see now like what we can and should be doing with film. And I've been using film a lot, actually, throughout my career for promotional purposes and stuff like that. But opera as film, you know, that's been, that's been going on for a while. That's been going on for a long time. And there was a period of time where there was none, you know, yeah. it just started to resurface. And somebody that I think is really slaying it, I'm going to use the term, <laughs> and, I use it, and I use it fully, okay, slaying it, is, is, <laughs> is James Dara. He's a artistic director, co-artistic director at Long Beach Opera and works with Op- Opera Omaha on the One Festival. I just seen some of his stuff and I've worked with him and I know that he's a visionary, you know, with, the, with regards to this specifically. I mean, I know that he's produced a bunch of different opera films. So shout out to James for uh, opening the door, you know, for us to all be, you know, having this conversation too, because it's, I think it's an absolutely nece- necessary thing that we should be approaching in the art form the one thing i will say though is that you know a lot of these companies have decided to make their own streaming platforms i don't agree with that i think that you know we have an opportunity to kind of this is an opportunity to come together and work together on on something that we can all share and i think that you know industry-wide maybe this is something that i'm also looking at creating or working on but there's definitely other people that can do it better but a streaming platform say like you know pbs or wnet like all arts would be a perfect platform to collaborate with on a national level you know so that we're all working on this sort of like nationally based visualization of of what's happening in the art form rather than just staying in these sort of like pockets you know because if we really do view these companies as production companies which is what they are you know now then they can make stuff for the larger public. It doesn't necessarily just need to be for, you know, the radius of the city that they're in. Because this right. film film is has, you know, potential to be seen by anyone and everyone, you know? So by, by closing it off and only making it for, you know, your audience and your, your group, it kind of is doing a little bit of a disservice to the artist, to the artwork. And, you know, I... I totally understand that it was out of a necessity for a lot of these places because of the pandemic. But I think there's another way that we can approach it as an industry. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, I think a lot of it's about accessibility because a lot of people would see opera if they could and seeing it online is the gateway for a lot of people. Exactly. Exactly. I completely agree. I mean, that's that's right on. I mean, it's so funny. Uh, Was it? san francisco that like shared their production of Susanna. i think so like during the pr- pandemic and i was like the first time i ever had the opportunity to watch that because yeah. it's like you know what i mean it's like not only like f- like for opera students and young opera singers it's actually so hard to see certain productions of i mean Susanna is not even really that new no for sure and it, you know what i mean and it's like impossible to go see works that are even yeah. just, you know such a good point that old so it's it's nice to be able to have that option to you know see whatever you want to see but it also i mean it was also only up for like a day or two like that was the whole thing like yeah. it was going away like the night after we watched it yeah and once again there's not really an access to a recording for that we can blame the union 
<laughs> because uh, you know it only allows for a certain amount of stuff to be shown for a certain amount of time. You know, without yeah. composite compensation or with a certain amount of compensation. You know, there's good yeah. things about the union, and then there's also really outdated things about the unions. They're very yeah. outdated. You know, not a lot of them were ready for social media. And social media is its own thing. It's not film. It's not the film industry, you know? And they it's treated like it is. It's treated like commercial entity film, basically. This is actually a battle that's happening right now with Broadway TikTok. Because a lot of TikTokers mm. who work on Broadway are filming backstage and on stage, or having people film them on stage. And it's asking questions of their issues with the union uh, surrounding Broadway because one of the things is like you can't really film people and show it because people have to be paid for that and so if you accidentally catch other characters in that filming or you catch somebody giving a performance and they're not being paid for it like there's a bunch of issues with social media and how to navigate it because the other thing is most of those shows don't want to stop the Broadway performers from doing these TikToks because it brings a lot of people to the shows to see these people yeah it's a double-edged sword and you know they're they're taking their dear time to figure out these issues, but it's gonna kind of I think it's gonna figure itself out, and then it's gonna be, you know somebody's gonna come up with some plan, and everybody either everybody's gonna lose or everybody's gonna win. You know, like it's <laughs> exactly you know yeah. yeah. I won't talk about it too much because I don't really know enough, but I from what I have read, like you know NFTs and the whole crypto world have a potential of kind of changing everything about art and everything about music and the business of it all i like i said i don't know that much about it what i've but just what i've read is that like you know being able to retain the rights and ownership of what you do and track it is a really big deal you know yeah. for artists so it's kind of like you know when we were able going back to the the you know the good old days of the recording industry you know when opera singers were able to become <laughs> multi 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 millionaires off of recordings because that's what it was you know yeah that's how the the big famous opera singers became super super wealthy and famous is because of recordings and that once you know pirating and all that stuff and streaming came out that revenue stream is gone you know from for the most part but it might be turning around and you know social media plays a huge role with that because it is the the marketing tool that we will be using, you know, for sure, for the for the time being. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, awesome. I've read about blockchain about a billion times, and I'm almost, I'm close to getting it. <laughs> I mean, if you're, on, um, if you're on TikTok and you're watching videos with, you know, where they're like green screening something about an NFT, you're good. I mean, that's basically all yeah. you need to know, because that's all it is, really. It's just TikTok videos. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> There's nothing else, so really. Uh, <laughs> Let's get into yeah. some of these big questions. So you brought up the fact that you didn't really do young artist programs. And what we really wanted to talk to you about was kind of your break from school into the industry. And so I kind of would love to hear a little bit more about that path and the conscious decision not to do mm. young artist programs. Okay, here's the serious part of the podcast now. Yeah, yeah we're entering the NPR <laughs> Back zone. Back to NPR. NPR, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I mean, yeah, put on my NPR voice. I was, what I, I went to school, I was 18, did four years, and then I did a graduate diploma. I was a really not a great student ever in any form of school. Um, 
so I, I had to like take evening division classes at Juilliard to try and get through and really, you know, understand. Cause I went, when I, when I left with that degree, I was like, I want to know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't want to be going into the world, you know, not knowing this stuff. So I like really went for it. Merit, talent, merit, the same, you know, it gets you so far. And if you don't have the tools to like show up and do the job and learn the music and do all that stuff into the languages and be very clear with the languages and very exacting with them. This career can be really, really, really tough because you're, you're called to do a lot of different things as the business of being the singer, you know, cause you are essentially a self-employed individual and you are paid as an independent contractor, right? And we all know that as long, as far as we, we know, if we've been paid by a, a, presenter that's the business that we're in so there's a lot of expectations before you show up and i think there was like a bit of a learning curve for me doing that but i was very lucky in that you know juilliard was supportive in my like learning about business um i actually took some courses at columbia that was something i don't know if you guys know about that but juilliard actually has a partnership with columbia university and so you can take classes there for free Nice. Pretty, pretty wild. Awesome. Yeah. And I did a few. I did a few like on, in business and stuff like that. Sustainability too. I did like a st- sustainability class. <laughs> Random. But after leaving school, you know, it's the things that I would say now in retrospect and also knowing about like where the industry is headed. I'm going to try and like keep this as clearly as I can because I want it to be helpful. But I also want to be, um, you know, smart about what I'm saying. I think the things that are are necessary to have before you leave is obviously all of the music that you can get, all of the the knowledge of of ear training specifically and languages. And if you're not getting enough, ask. Ask for more if you don't feel like you're being challenged. So I I've worked with a few students throughout the pandemic who are in university programs that didn't feel like they were getting enough from their programs and they're paying to be there. So there's you are paying you you as the students are going to these schools and they're obligated really to give you the education that you want so demand it just be be open be frank you know the other thing worth saying is that a lot of the stuff that happens in school does not translate to the professional world in my experience very seldomly maybe one maybe two people that are your teachers will be involved in your career outside of the school. So the politics and the experience of being in school is much different than being in the real world. And it doesn't actually translate entirely. Okay. So don't get all in your head about, you know, asking for what you need. Just do it. And then I'd say like, you know, learn as much as you can about business and about marketing yourself and about doing it properly, you know, and what does that mean? How do how do you how do you deal with PR? How do you deal with press? What do you do with it when you get it? Who do you send it to? Who do you talk to? You know? And the whole thing about an agent. How do you get an agent? Why do you get an agent? When do you get an agent? The how is normally through you know, obviously the audition process or knowing someone who knows someone, right? Or being heard in a competition. Something of those lines, right? Right. When is when you have stuff to present with, to them? You know, if you if you are 
if you are like, I have these concerts that are coming up or these presenters that really have shown interest in me, that's when. So how, when, and why? I mean, like, it's because you would need somebody to help you manage the communication between you and a company, right? That it gets to the point where you don't want to necessarily be having the back and forth with the company director or the artistic director or the artistic team, right? About casting and about potential projects for the future in our industry you your job is to sing your job is to be there with your music learned ready to stage and ready to perform the piece as soon as possible so doing this other job of communicating on your behalf what you're worthy of in the industry that's really what the the agent is for and a lot of the people that we have out there right now are very very good at that Uh, but it's very limited it's a very limited pool of these individuals. And we have to like thank them for continuing to do this job because it's crazy, you know, especially yeah. because of the pandemic. And I personally have gone through six agents. Oh, wow. I've had, I've, and I, I'm opening up this, you know, I don't want to necessarily talk about this all the time, but because we're, we're talking to young artists and, you know, it's been a really wild 10 years, honestly, with the 2008 cr- financial crisis breaking apart some agencies and then the pandemic and just people that are retiring, you know, and deciding that enough's enough, you know, after 20 to 30 plus years of, of doing the job. And so I had a bunch of people that were like that in my sphere and making decisions based on, you know, their own needs, which is totally understandable. But as a singer, you need to be ready to, to adapt, you know, to the, to, if you're, if you're not going to have an agent, but you've had an agent for a while and you have things that, that are on the table, you got to find the next person and you have, you have to do the interviewing. You need to, you need to go out into the world and you have to find out who is that person going to be. Ask your colleagues, ask your friends yeah. that are your colleagues. Those are the, that the reason why I have the agent that I have now is because of a friend is because of a colleague that I've, that I've performed with. And we were lucky, didn't, lucky enough to do some like outdoor, you know, stuff here in Los Angeles uh, throughout the pandemic. And that's what made it possible. So it's not always straightforward. It's not, it's not easy, but it's this career. <laughs> but it's, it's rewarding in so many ways. And that's the thing is like once you get the ball rolling and you get moving all, uh, with certain, in certain areas and you find your niche and you find your specialty of what you do as a singer, as an artist, then it can be, become extremely rewarding and something that you want to wake up for and pursue as a job. And as a business every day. I do have one specific thing that I want to, which is that specific transition. So you said, obviously, that you decided not to do young artist programs. So was it that in yeah. school you had already kind of made the connections necessary to take on like small roles and cover roles? Or were you just already performing professionally because of who you had worked with? Yeah, I did some I did some auditions in New York because New York City is where I was and it was super accessible and there was a lot of auditions yeah. happening during the time, right? I had some concert work. I've always I've always loved concert work and I continue doing that over and over and over, but for opera specifically, yeah. I had a season that I scheduled and I booked with an agent. He helped me book it when I was 22 or 23, 23 I think maybe. Um which is very young, you know, as a baritone to be singing professionally in in certain roles. And I believe it was Sonora. Got that Nathan Gunn energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Except I'm bald. But, you know, <laughs> hashtag wig. 
hashtag wigs you know like there you go yeah <laughs> hashtag opera hashtag wigs you know there you go that's it yeah no but uh, i was doing sonora in fantula del west at frankfurt opera opera frankfurt i was doing harlequin at a small company in canada which does really great work called pacific opera victoria it was just those two roles and i got a call to join the studio at zurich to sing wow. the lesser two roles in the next season in both of those operas. And that would have been my oh. season. So I would have sung Happy in Fontula del West, who sings basically nothing. He's just basically uh-huh. a compromario in the chorus. And that I would have sang the Lakai in the prologue of Ariadne instead of Harlequin. No, co- no mention of covers. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, whatever else would have happened. And I felt in my gut, I was like... I just did these two operas as these two other characters. Is this a step down? Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Sure. And that's that was the moment where like I made a very clear decision to not go to do a studio at Opera Zurich, which was like, whoa, <laughs> why would you not do that? You know, but right. it, in, in retrospect, I was able to do special projects. And that's nice. what led me to do uh, specifically Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, because the next ah. season that was on, that was what I would have had to turn down. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So let's transition to that. So in 2020, the Grammy for the best opera recording went to Tobias Picker's fantastic Mr. Fox. What was that experience like seeing on that album to representing Boston Modern Orchestra Project at the awards to actually like winning the Grammy? Like give us, give us the play by play. Well, yeah. Um, we did the production first at Opera San Antonio. And it was like a black box style opera. It's very, you know, small stage, small pared down ensemble, actually. Like not the full orchestra at all. Hmm. And so when Gil Rose of BMOP picked up the project, we went from literally like a teeny little ensemble version of it to full orchestra. And it was just like, oh, wow, this is a different experience right yeah and it was without all of the the set and it was just like all of our crazy costumes on like a semi-stage version of it at jordan hall at uh at at nec you know yeah so we did it with the full orchestra on stage and then we spent the week basically just recording the the opera and that Mm -hmm. was yeah i mean like it was an it was an incredible project i never ever would have thought it would have won a grammy i just (laughs) Did not have any expectation of that whatsoever in the advance of like recording that piece, you know, and it's all, you know, really actually the responsibility of that is all on Gilrose because he and, and BMOP. So I, I like woke up one day and it was um basically like, you're nominated for a Grammy. And I was like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> like what? <laughs> So wow. and then and then we went to the Grammys and the name got called and I was like I I just want a Grammy. That's <laughs> like so wild. That's crazy. I know, oh I gosh. know. And I feel kind of like I don't I can't believe it happened, but is am I is it worthy of, of Yes, of course it is. You know, it was a it was a recording project and we poured heart and soul and love into it. So, I feel very very proud to have been a part of it. It's an awesome opera. It's a lot of fun. It's great for families, honestly. And I think more companies should program it, you know, because it's rolled doll. 
You know, it's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, it's a great young bar- high young baritone role. You know, so if any any young baritones, high high young baritones are listening out there, it's, it goes up to an A. And it's pretty it's pretty uh high up there. It's like Peleos. It's definitely worth looking at the uh Ah the Smell of the Night aria. Ooh, <laughs> yes. nice. I love it. Yeah, you can listen yeah. to it on Spotify or Apple Music and it's it's yours truly singing the role of Mr. Fox. I love it. That's so crazy. I know that was something that I was curious to know is if while you were working on the project, if you had any inkling that it would win a Grammy. <laughs> no clue. No That's expectation. Awesome. Just like, wow. That makes it better, honestly. <laughs> Just, I yeah. was trying to like, I was trying to go for it with my other projects. So it was just wild that it would have and I, I was talking I was putting it out in the universe. I was like, I wanna win a Grammy. I wanna win a Grammy. I wanna get nominated for a Grammy. Like I was just saying it. But I did not expect for that pro- <laughs> Yeah, I did. But I did not expect it for that project. So it's just amazing when like you know, the universe kind of interferes or inter not interferes, but you know, does its thing. Does its thing. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. That's so cool. So what advice would you go back and give yourself coming fresh out of school? Hmm. What were the couple things that you think would have been improved by knowing about them before you exited into into the real world? Well, I think like my listening skills that I have now are kind of the most in as a musician, but also as a colleague are kind of like super, super, super important. And I was really a bad listener for a while and I'm still working on it. And it's, I think, you know, I've learned it through different ways and different means of interaction in the world, but it's so important as a colleague to listen to everyone in the room before you say something, before you have your opinion of what needs to be done or what should happen, unless it's like life-threatening or your voice is being threatened or, you know, something like that, then definitely, definitely speak up sooner rather than later but i kind of wish there was almost like a class on listening as an artist you know just listening because it would be so helpful to know how to actively do that and sort of slow down the process like this is not listening to gain anything this is not listening to you know move ahead in life it's listening to be in the moment you know and be present it's that sort of like training of presence another thing that i wish i knew or could have go back and talk to myself about is like just i'm trying to think i'm like thinking about something like what that would be funny and like useful but also like yeah i should have bought the bitcoin when it was like a hundred dollars <laughs> i mean i should have i should have i should have bought the bitcoin at a hundred that's what that's what i was i was just about to do it you know but you know, it's it's <laughs> that has nothing to do with singing. <laughs> but I, I think I, I. But I honestly do think that like investing and being mm-hmm. you know financially smart with your money, and what does that mean? That means like taking a percentage of your funds that you make and immediately putting them into some sort of investment portfolio. Because as singers, we don't really think that that's necessary but we actually don't have any like real setup in our industry there's i mean that union kind of does it but doesn't really do it that that incredibly well you know it's not really it's with an aggregate you know the whole mindset 
but for you personally, I mean, like, if you can open a Roth IRA and take that 5500 or whatever it is every year and put it into, like, even just the S&P 500, just buy the S&P 500 every year, you'll be fine by the time you're 60 years old is really all that you really need to do, you know? So, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of, I mean, I personally have done that now, but, like, had I thought of it a little bit more in line of, like, just do that. It would be nice. It would have been nice to just like start right when I started out of school. So, and then in terms of like artistically, I think like just being open to the, what is, what comes your way being like a lot of people are kind of harp on this whole, like saying no thing, like no one to say no about like, you know, when does, when is enough? When's no one knows enough for like when when gigs are you know coming your way or certain types of work but i actually would say like say yes to more things that you may feel like uncomfortable with vocally personally and set the boundaries for yourself in the thing you're going to grow you're going to mature through that experience you know if they ask you in while you're doing the thing it's like a non-union thing you know it's like everybody's kind of experimenting and then they ask you to do something you don't want to do that's an opportunity for you to like talk and and be your own advocate and that's those are things that we need to know about those are things that we need to learn about in the world right so i just think like but be open to those opportunities so that's like a thing about fear right just the fear of doing something the fear of succeeding which I think is definitely in this industry and definitely in this experience because when you're succeeding, you're actually getting a lot of things on your plate. You're putting a lot of opportunities in front of you saying yes to a lot of things. And that can actually be a lot of pressure and it can be really intense. But know that when the thing is happening, you have an authority to kind of say what is, is good for you and what is not going to work. And I'd say, yeah, just be at, at the stage of, of young artist, say yes to so much more than you say no to, in my opinion. That's just, I would feel, I would, that's just something that, that I would, I would, I would like to convey. Awesome. Well, John, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Tell us where can we keep up with what you're up to? Tell us what you have coming up on the calendar. How can we connect with you? Well, there's always my website, John Brancy, dot com. I'm on Instagram at John Brancy, all the other places, etc. <laughs> and I'm going to be doing, you know, some interesting projects. Hopefully we can, you know, COVID will stay not in, in, in our lives for that much longer. And, you know, prayers to everyone who is exp has experienced it and is experiencing it. You know, it's not been an easy time in all the different ways. I'm excited to, I'm, I'm really happy that you guys are doing this. You know, I think it's it's really cool. Kudos to making it happen and making it work um, and bringing people on to, to talk about, you know, their life and their careers and stuff. I think it's really, it's really awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> we have a lot of fun doing it. And that is our episode for this week. So if you want to see more of what we post, you can find us on at Opera Offstage, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can also join our Discord, which is in our Instagram bio. And also, we just found out that John is actually going to be jumping in to San Diego Opera's upcoming production of Cozy Fantute, and he will be performing on February 12th, 15th, 18th, and the 20th. So if you are anywhere in the SoCal area, make sure to go catch him. 
See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.